Welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here, here to recap the dominating win over the Michigan State Spartans last Saturday. Um, firstly, I apologize if this is any audio issues. I've got I'm on a different internet and I don't have my normal mic, so uh, bear with us on that. And uh, other than that, we're we're ready to rock. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, hoping hoping uh, to wrap this show up and then also uh, watch the Packers should be a good one. Hopefully we can keep that dominance of the state of Michigan going. I saw on Twitter that we now own uh, the upper peninsula for how dominating we've been over the state of Michigan. So <laughs> hopefully we can keep that rolling, but we'll get yeah, right. It's, it's, it's been startling. It's been it startling has. how, uh, how they've done against these Michigan schools. Yeah. It's been, I mean, incredibly impressive for, for the entire season. And I guess that kind of brings us right into it, Matt. I mean, what are your, what were just initial impressions or takeaways uh, from Saturday's game? You know, I thought, I thought the Badgers looked really good. Uh, I, I, I know we had talked about it and we each kind of felt that it was going to be a, a tough grinded out type game, but that the Badgers would ultimately, you know, pull away, you know, uh, but it just didn't go that way. The Badgers were able to kind of put their f- foot down right away uh, after that initial drive and, take hold of the game and it was very impressive and it was just another uh, notch in the belt for a team that's looked really good all year long uh what jumped out to you yeah I mean they just looked incredibly sharp I mean obviously we've we've had four shutouts now and all of them have been impressive in different ways but this one just seemed to me um to just be the most dominated I mean Michigan State could not do anything on the offensive side of the football and you know, for as good as their defense was, they they still, you know, got picked apart by Jack, and and obviously they slowed Jonathan Taylor down, but it didn't seem to matter. And I think there's going to be games where you have to win it like that, and to be able to come out and win 38 nothing when you when your best player doesn't have, you know, that great of a game is just impressive. I mean, I I, I can't. I was blown away. I've been blown away by this team all season, but they just continue to continue to impress. So it it's really been pretty special so far. It's one of those things where a lot of people just doubted the Badgers. You know, I think both of us had picked Wisconsin to uh, win the West, but at the same time, that wasn't the the conclusion across most media outlets. And so to see the way that they've come back and, you know, rallied around that cause and really been it's been a team effort and watching them has been been fun. Yeah, it certainly has been. But we'll dive into a little bit of the, you know, the analytics and, and the performance base of it. Obviously, like we talked about a little bit already, you know, Michigan State, for the most part, you know, shut JT down. I think he only had, what, maybe 80 yards or so. Um, but the, but the Badgers still rolled on offense due to the play of Jack Cohen. Now, obviously, his stats don't jump out as, um, you know, from a yard standpoint, but he was incredibly efficient and, and took care of the ball and, and just looked, you know, delivered delivered the passes that he was asked to deliver. But uh, what was what impressed you with with Jack's performance on Saturday? Just the command he had. You know, he he didn't make any mistakes. You know, there's been other games where he's looked really solid. 
uh, where he, but then he would have one of those throws where it was like, Ooh, that was kind of close to being intercepted or, you know, like, Ooh, it was, that one was way off target. And there just, there wasn't anything like that. This game, he was just on point all game long. And it's, it's becoming to be a consistent thread where he's, you know, in that 17 to 20, 18 to 21 kind of range where he's, you know, he's firing at 76% in this game. I think he's on 76% on the year. He has been just a revelation in the passing game when, you know, Badger fans were really upset these last couple of seasons. Uh, I think with, with, um, with the right to be, I should say. Um, and he's just been really solid and really kind of taken this team to a level, you know, when you pair it with the defense, that's, that's, they haven't seen in a, since two years ago. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you're exactly right. He's, he's done everything that he's, he's needed to do and he's taken care of the football. And I think that goes a long way um, with the Wisconsin fan base, because like you said, they've had the right to be upset over the quarterback play for, for a while now. I mean, Alex Hornibrook was maybe, you know, I don't want to say the worst of it because he had some really good moments, but there were some struggles, uh, at least from the turnover category, where you saw, you know, if we could just have a quarterback that completes the passes that he needs to and, and takes care of the football, where this team could be. And I think you're kind of starting to see that uh, with the play of Jack. And kind of going off of that, his his play was obviously tremendous, but I, I think one thing that not a lot of people are talking about is the offensive line play. Um, they they did a good job of, of really giving Jack as much time uh, as he needed and wanted. And they he, against that really good front seven with, with guys like Kenny Willekes and, and Joe Bocci and guys that up until this game ha- had done really well and have been a dominating player in the Big Ten for a couple of years. So what uh, what did you think of the pass protection overall uh, against you know a dominating front seven like that? You know, they, they looked really good, you know, and there, it, it was nice to see that there really isn't a weak link in the offensive line. They work really well as a unit, you know, led by obviously Biotish in the middle, but they so far this year have only given up two, a sack on 2.3% of their passes, which is absurd. They're, they're in the top 10 in pretty much every category, uh, at least according to football outsiders, uh, you know, a really reputable, uh, sports analytics, uh, product of statistics that they'd put out there, but the Badgers are doing really well in terms of that. And that offensive line is a big reason for it. You know, Jack has got time. He's able to go through his progression. He's able to make those reads and there isn't a single guy along that offensive line that, that can't step up and make those plays. And they've been doing it while rotating some guys at guards too. So it's, it's been really impressive to, to see them not only in the run game, but then obviously in the past game, which, which has been great because, I think we can all remember times when, you know, it just felt like when they played against really good competition, like a Michigan, like a Michigan State, that they would give up sacks. And they only gave up the one, and that was kind of a garbage one right before half compared to Michigan State was coming in averaging a little over three a game. Yeah, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head with with not really having a weak link in that offensive line uh, so far this season. Because you look at teams across the country, I mean, you look at a team like Miami, who who they have they have five links in their armor on the offensive line and you see how how much of a struggle that your offense becomes when you have even when you obviously have a full line that struggles but when you even have one guy that you have to worry about and you have to try and cover up and hide it, it takes a lot of stuff out of your playbook that you, maybe you can't you know go with because you're not comfortable with it because you're not um, you know able to have you know the the protection that you want and I think when 
it just it takes you know makes Jack's job a lot easier because he can stand back there and know that for the most part been protected and he's going to probably continue to get that because you know obviously Ohio State's front seven is going to be another big test but so far this this offensive line has has really answered the call um, on all of these tests so far so you have to fully expect that you know that's kind of you know going to try and continue as as they get into the stretch of, of obviously Big Ten play and It'll get tougher, but so far you, you can't really ask too much more from anybody on the roster, really, not even just the offensive line. So it, it's been impressive from from even that side of the ball, too, and I don't think the offensive line you know, gets enough credit in that pass-blocking game. As they, obviously, Wisconsin linemen get a ton of credit in the running game, uh, but sometimes they get overlooked in that side of the game. So it's, t- it's nice to give the, give the big guys a little credit up front. Speaking of big guys, um, uh, maybe a little smaller. I don't think Jake Ferguson would want to be called, you know, one of the big guys, but he kind of reemerged this Saturday. And, and I think that was nice to see because, um, you know, he's, he's still been productive, you know, in, the, in parts of the season so far, um, but he hasn't been the, the dominating force quite yet the way he was last year. You know, he led the team in receiving this past weekend. How big of it Will be well. How big will it be for this offense if Jake can get more involved and if Jack Cohn has another, uh, you know, receiver and target to to go with? Yeah, I mean Ferguson's a real has that big, you know, buzzword catch radius that a lot of people really look for in a tight end, and he has the he has the athleticism, you know, playing high school at wide receiver. He's he's a big body that can catch the ball. Can you could see he had actually a couple moves uh, after the catch as well. That were good to see other than uh, other than that one where he just kind of was eaten up by the turf. Oh, yeah. yeah Reminded me tough. of uh, on NCAA where you dive at the one yard line so you can get your running back in for a touchdown <laughs> or something. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was what were you going to say? I said it did kind of look like that when you just hit the hit the circle and flopped you know, across the goal line that way. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was one of those things where I was just like, oh man, that was totally NCAA. Um, R.I.P. Hoping for it to come back, but um, <laughs> they are, uh, you know, he's he's a big time guy. He's second on the team in receptions, and the more they can get him involved because he's on the field so much. You know, they rotate their wide receivers a lot, but he is the primary tight end. And so he's on the field a lot. So having him as a consistent guy that could be a threat at all times is big for an offense that has a lot of different weapons. Yeah, and you talk about the weapons, and obviously they're they're deep at the receiving, you know, receiving core and receiving positions. Um, but to have a guy, you know, even a, you know, you look at a lot of college quarterbacks, and you know, if you're young and inexperienced, the tight end is is usually your safety blanket that you almost look to first in a way. Uh, and just to be able to see that Jack Cohn maybe he isn't he isn't forcing the ball to the tight end because he doesn't know where else to go with it, I think is is a welcome sign too uh, because you'll see a lot of young quarterbacks when they when they're in trouble and they're looking around they, they'll sometimes force it to their big you know guy with the catch radius like a tight end, um, and and sometimes you get over reliant on that position. I think we've seen that a little bit uh, in, in Wisconsin quarterbacks of the past. So to have have Jake back and you know, obviously playing well would be huge and it just gives you another weapon to a to a deep receiving core and you know if if they can continue to do that it'll just open up uh those weapons on the outside even even more you know you'll see guys like Quinton Cephas and Pryor and Davis and Taylor who are already deep on their own and can get each other open you know Jake Ferguson is just going to add that extra layer uh if he continues to, to play the way he did Saturday and you know the way he has up until this game speaking of that 
deep receiving core. Um, they made quite a few plays on Saturday, and obviously they were the the main uh, you know aspect of the offense with Taylor not really getting going. And two of the more impressive ones uh, were Kendrick Pryor's run late and, and Quintez Cephas's catch early. I mean, both were pretty amazing plays and impressive highlight reel type stuff. But Matt, which one impressed you more, uh, Pryor's run or, or Quintez's catch? Quintez's catch was the the superior like athletic play in terms of being able to go up, you know, high point the ball, make that play uh, in in a contest. But I think Pryor's run was 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 a bigger deal. I thought you know the Badgers had really you know rammed Jonathan Taylor and Nakia Watson um, all game long, and that opened up that outside edge so that they could kind of hit it. Um, on that end around and give it to him. And you, you could just see the play develop where everybody crashed towards the running back and it was wide open. Um, and I think just the way he went ahead and broke that tackle, it looked like he was going to go down for like, you know, 30, 34 yards. And then all of a sudden he was gone for 66 because of that, that stiff arm. And, you know, I think the biggest part of that play is that that puts that on tape, which is huge for the Badgers. It, it showed that, Hey, you know, you got, you got Ohio state in a couple of weeks you can't just key on on Jonathan Taylor or we're going to be able to hit you on the outside with, with some of these guys, or at the very least, it makes them have that in the back of their head that they have to, uh, you know, um, be hesitant just a smidge, which gives, which is all Jonathan Taylor needs to get an extra couple yards uh, running up the ball. So I think that play was the more impressive because it was more of a team effort. In addition to it was uh, it was a really good play call by Paul Christ in terms of setting things up for the future. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you, you think of Wisconsin offenses of old, you know, they used to run that that jet sweep a ton, way more than they even do now, and obviously last year they kind of got away from that play, you know, maybe because they didn't feel if it was working the same thing or, or working the same way or it just hadn't hit, you know, like that in a while, um, where, where all of a sudden teams weren't really keyed on it. They, they didn't really think it was a threat, and you know, Wisconsin hardly ever you know, ran it, but you see how well it can work and it gives you an added dynamic for sometimes an offense that doesn't have, you know, those little wrinkles. So I, I think it's huge for that regard. And uh, I think that, you know, the, just that play in general uh, at being the last score and kind of putting uh, an exclamation point you know, on that game, just kind of showing Michigan State, you know, nice try. Thanks for coming. But, uh, you know, you're going to have a nice safe travels back. Um, but I think it was just a statement, you know, and obviously it was on you know all, all the highlights to, from the outlets this past weekend. But, you know, like you said, Cephas's catch was was very impressive athletically. But I think impact wise, if you're, if you're there are two different things, I think impact wise, uh, Pryor's run is something that's going to be really beneficial for this team uh, down the season, because like you said, you have to keep keep those linebackers and opposing you know defenses on their heels a little bit and, and just looking for another wrinkle. But uh, that's really all we've got on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, they were extremely dominant in their own right. Um, but uh, we're going to dive into some defensive stuff in a little bit here. But first, we're going to kick it to a quick ad read. All right. Now it's time to talk the really the dominating side of uh, the football game uh, and, and really the dominating part of this team all season. You, you can give credit to the offense, but the defense has been the storyline so far other than you know Jonathan Taylor getting – you know, he's going to get the main attention, but this defense has been incredible. Fourth shutout this season, uh, just just blowing everybody away. They're first in I, – I don't think there's any category they aren't first in, in by now. I mean, they're first in, in literally pretty much everything. So, Matt, what impressed you 
uh, most about this defense this week? Because it's kind of a group effort. Um, but w- what impressed you the most with them? I mean, the the run defense, you know, the transition they've had from last year to this year is just remarkable. The defensive line and, uh, you know, front seven in general have done really awesome. Uh, they stopped. They only gave up a net of 30 yards rushing with 20 of those coming on that fake punt. So you take away those the 20 yards and they only give up 10 yards on the ground on 20 different rush attempts, which is, you know, obviously half a yard a carry, which is just absurd in terms of a big 10 team running the ball, being able to hold a a team that usually has fairly good running backs. And I think Elijah Collins is a fairly good running back. He's averaging, you know, it was close to five yards a carry on the year. So they, that was a statement to me uh, in terms of what the front seven could do against the run. And they'll need to against, an, an Illinois team who likes to run the ball, and obviously Ohio State, who's got J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, I mean, they're going to get tested with some good running backs again these next two weeks. Obviously, Illinois has, um, you know, not had, their, not had their best season for a while now, but Reggie Corbin is, is a solid back uh, for them. I mean, definitely the star on their team, and they love to run the football, and they, they do it pretty well. So they'll be tested again uh, down the season and, and, you know, down the stretch with, with Ohio State, too. And, you know, it's, that you're, it's just this league where you're going to go against – strong running attacks. So to have a front seven play the way they have so far has, has really been impressive. And I just think, you know, this group plays, you know, so well together. They seem to have so much more mesh and, and confidence in one another. Um, and, you know, as a group and as a whole, you know, they're playing with, with a lot of confidence. And I think you see that on the field where, you know, I tweeted out on Saturday, this team and this defense look to be having just more fun and, and more into the game and, and, and together where and and it sounds silly but that makes a that makes a huge impact because you're, you're playing as a unit and on defense you kind of have to speaking of obviously the the dominating effort of this defense obviously the front seven is has done really well and and played together and they've gotten a lot of the attention but the secondary has has really you know blossomed into a pretty good group as well um so what what do you think of this um group that's kind of grown as a lot of guys that were young last year to a to a you know more talented and, and together group in the secondary this year. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that stands out about this group is that they're last year it seemed like guys uh, tried to do too much. You know, they were just getting their feet wet. They were just kind of scrambling to kind of stick with wide receivers and make those plays. But this year they have a confidence that hey, I just need to focus in and do my job, and my job's going to be enough because the guy behind me or the guy next to me is going to be able to make that play. You know, I thought that the play by. Um, Eric Burrell, where he he dove in front and knocked it off with his you know his offhand was was a, was the thing of beauty, uh, you know. And they held Daryl Stewart, who's one of the better wide receivers in the Big Ten, to only 59 yards on a on a whole boatload of targets and different tries to get him the ball. And everybody was there step by step, and and it wasn't just one or two guys. They're they're shuffling guys in and out. Uh, Dante Burton's seeing a lot more action now, and he's not even listed in the top four depth chart. So it's one of those things where the guys seem to really uh, understand their roles and are taking them to heart and making plays about it, something that we didn't see a lot of last year. We didn't see a guy like Rashad Wild Goose making an interception like he had in this game. Right. Yeah. And you, you, we talked about that in the beginning of the season where you saw where this group could get to uh, just with the depth that they had and the experience. And we we all kind of wondered would it translate and you know would they take that next step on the field and and so far I think they they really have now obviously having a front seven you know like that in front of them you know, works together and we've talked about that before how how defense all kind of runs together but 
so far, you can't really ask uh, too much more of the secondary. They, they've still, you know, held their own and, and played their own uh, style of football and, and really played well, uh, despite the attention kind of being on the front seven and the pressure and the run defense. But overall, they've they've been pretty solid, too. And you, you've got to give it, of course, credit to, you know, Jim Leonard. I think people are really starting to see him, you know, as one of the top defensive coaches in the game. And I saw a tweet on Saturday that, you know, if Jim Leonard was coaching offense the way he coaches defense, He'd be on every radar, both you know, uh, at the college level and and the professional level, because that's how how dominating he's been uh, with his team uh, so far this season. So you got to give credit uh, to him. But going off of that, something I never thought we would talk about uh, at this point in the season, halfway through, is we're talking about our fourth shutout in, in six games. Um, it's kind of crazy to say that and to think about it, but it's it's true. I and mean, the numbers don't lie. Um, which, which shout out to you? I mean, and I know we're picking at straws because it's obviously all of them are great, but which shout out effort has been kind of the most impressive in your eyes? Um, I would actually probably say the South Florida game. You know, I think Michigan state has a, a decent offense. They've had some moments where they've made plays, but they've also had some consistent times where they've sputtered. South Florida, uh, has played a lot better these last couple of games, albeit against worse competition. But that game, the Badgers have had their backups in for basically the entire second half. It felt like so. There's a lot. There was a lot more time where you know you've got reserves out there trying to hold down a shutout. When when in this game you had your starting defense out there for most of the third and halfway in through the fourth quarter until they started bringing other guys in. So that was to me, you know the the second level of defenders really want to make sure that they're holding it down for the guys who, you know, have held it up, held up their end of the bargain through the first three quarters, but they've, they did a really good job. And I would say South Florida just simply because they were out on the field for so long. Yeah. And you, you think about that one too, you know, obviously Wisconsin, we've been at, been at home for, it feels like a month, two month, month and a half now. Um, that one was on the road. To open the season in a new environment, you know, rain, weather delay, new guys playing new positions and trying to, you know, play together. So I think that one kind of gets uh, underrated, you know, in a way because it was so long ago. Uh, but at the time, we were we were all blown away because we didn't know what this defense uh, could be. And then this weekend, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, another shutout by this defense. Not really, obviously impressive, but not really that surprising when you see. Um, how good they've been so far this season. If I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Michigan State, but that I, that was more so because of just how crisp and how dominating and how you know every guy kind of was in on it. There wasn't one guy who just caused havoc in the game and and took over the game, and that's why the defense played so well. You know, it was a concerted group effort that that really allowed them uh, to to play well. So uh, speaking of fourth, the Badgers have only had five shutouts uh, once, and that was back in 1930. So Matt, do you think that they'll hit that mark or beat that mark? I think it's going to be tough to beat that mark simply because of the upcoming schedule. You know, you, they've got, they've got some decent offenses coming up. Illinois was able to score pretty handily against Michigan, especially in the second half, Ohio state. They're not shutting out Ohio state. I just can't imagine that. Um, You know, and then, Purdue has scored quite a bit here lately, as as has Minnesota. I think I think maybe they'll hit. I think that's probably the safer call. I I think it's going to be tough to beat that mark, but I think they could hit that mark with Illinois coming up, 
Iowa, their offense has been pretty hit or miss and haven't been able to score against uh, Michigan or against Penn State really a lot. You know, and those defenses are good, but at the same time, the way the Badgers defense is clicking is just kind of a different level. So I think it'll be interesting. You never know in terms of uh, Martinez's health for Nebraska. If he's not able to go, then that could be a game too. So I don't think they're going to beat it, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they were able to, to hit that mark. Yeah, I would agree. And obviously, yeah, I would agree. I mean, obviously you, you, you're happy with four shutouts regardless. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think to expect two more would, would be asking a lot. Uh, but at the same time, obviously none of us would, would be surprised um, at that because they've, they've had four and none of us expected that. So um, if they were to, yeah, I, I think Illinois might have to be one. Um, and then, like you said, they, they've got some tough defenses and even or tough offenses, excuse me. And even, you know, like the teams that have kind of struggled, like Purdue, um, they can put up points. They put up a boatload of points on Maryland this past weekend, and you know, so you're not gonna you're not gonna face a, an attack that's that's weakened uh, in in too many areas going forward. So I think they've proven their point. Obviously, we'll take more shutouts, but for right now, um, they've been pretty impressive, and we'll we'll hopefully keep that defensive streak rolling. Um, but we're going to kick it to a quick ad, and then we're going to go into some uh, college football landscape talk. All right, so let's talk uh, college football around the country. Obviously, this past weekend was probably uh, the best slate of games so far, uh, I would have to imagine. Obviously, there was a couple weekends that had a lot of good games, uh, but but this was the one that really had four or five, six good games on it. Uh, from from a ranked perspective matchup, from from conference perspective matchup, you know, rivalries, huge, impactful games. Uh, but, Matt, what, what game was what's most interesting to you this past weekend? Uh, I would have to say, you know, I was able to watch quite a few of the games uh, after the Badger game was out uh, with some friends, being able to get some drinks. But at the same time, I would say that the game that kind of I was watching the closest was that LSU-Florida game. That game was was good. It was fun to see kind of those two defenses trading blows and to see Joe Burrow on the on a bigger bigger stage again. You know, he's looked really good. And, you know, he was a guy who I don't think anybody would have penciled in as, hey, he could be a Heisman candidate and he's lived up to it. He's kind of throwing similarly to Jack Cohn in terms of completion percentage. And uh, it was it was good to see that, you know. It was tough to see Florida sometimes on offense. They kind of shot themselves in the foot a few times, but at the same time, it was a good matchup and it kind of helped uh, reaffirm that LSU is in fact uh, one of the top five teams in the country. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, though, though that team is for real. And I think we still learned a good amount about Florida too, to be able to go on the road uh, at night in Death Valley and, and you know have take a lead coming into the, going into the third quarter. Um, is impressive in its own right. So you, you learned a lot about those teams. And, you know, I think LSU is right up there right now as, like, you know, the number two team in the country. If I was, you know, ranking mine, I, I would have them right there behind Alabama and obviously a huge, you know, a couple weeks that, that game coming up. But, man, they were impressive to, to have that game. And then I think the other one was obviously Oklahoma-Texas. The Red River rivalry is, is always intriguing. But you look at that game and you see it's a one-score game. Uh, and you think, you know, it was close and maybe it was back and forth, but it, it really wasn't that. You know, I was watching the, uh, watching it at the at the bar before uh, the Badger game, and it really wasn't as close as the score let on. Uh, Oklahoma made some mistakes to, to really hurt themselves from, from, you know, having that be a lot, a lot bigger of a blowout. And obviously Texas has some injuries, but, 
you know, overall that that really solidifies Oklahoma as a you know a playoff contender, which they already were, but it also shows that they kind of have a defense. Obviously, they've that's been their huge Achilles heel the last few years, and to see them, you know, come out and and hold Texas down for at least the first two and a half quarters was pretty impressive. So uh, obviously, huge games for for both of them, uh, and then of course there was some some impactful losses. You talk about the Texas loss. Um, and of course, Georgia, uh, number three, going down at home to a, a depleted uh, South Carolina team. So go, I was kind of trying to work, see a way to work this into Wisconsin. How do you think um, Georgia and Texas's loss and these teams start losing? How does that impact the Badgers? And, you know, what teams or conference should you be kind of rooting for as the playoff race, race shakes out? You know, I think the the loss for Georgia was was a big one because they lost to South Carolina at home, who's a three and three team now. They they it's similar to when Ohio State lost to say Iowa or you know um, Purdue. They, it's it's one of those losses that you shouldn't have on your schedule if you're one of the premier programs out there competing for one of those playoff spots. So I think that was pretty huge, uh, a pretty big huge hit on Georgia, especially when you look at their schedule, which they've got some big games coming up that they could easily tumble on. And I highly doubt any team's getting in with two losses this year for the playoffs. So I think it really kind of hits hard on the SEC in a big way. Um, in your second point, in terms of who we should be rooting for, I, I still say the team that the Badgers need to keep rooting for is Michigan. Michigan, we uh, the Badgers just need them to kind of continue to muck up things in the east side and try to try to make it so that the Badgers have as good of a case uh, and and possibly aren't having to play Ohio State if 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 at all possible in the Big Ten championship because we've seen how Wisconsin can can handle that Michigan team once and well you would assume that the second game if they were to play them in both teams made to the conference championship would be would be a little bit closer I still like the Badgers in that matchup a lot so I think the Michigan being able to kind of go through and knock off some teams because I know that they they have some teams that they are going to be playing uh, against the West Division. I think Penn State is another team that the Badgers should be rooting for because they have some games against the West Division. Like I know they play Minnesota. So just to help the Badgers, uh, I look at it as you you want to you want to win to your conference. You want to get into that conference championship game and let the chips fall where they may. And in order to do that, it's going to start with the Big Ten uh, in my eyes. Yeah, and one one other note with Michigan, obviously they they play a huge role in the Big Ten, but they've also got Notre Dame on their schedule the same weekend uh, that Wisconsin and Ohio State square off. So anytime you can, if you can, you know, knock Notre Dame completely out. Obviously they've already got one loss, but a one loss Notre Dame team can you know still you know be in the conversation. So if you can get rid of them, it opens things up for for the rest of the conferences in general. Uh, so Michigan is definitely one that uh, helps the Badgers. Uh, in the long term, and, and you, someone I would agree that they want to keep rooting for. Um, as for like you know the losses, absolutely you know like you said, no two loss team is getting in. I don't think Texas, even if they ran the table and beat Oklahoma, would would be vying for a playoff spot. So it, it kind of shrinks that bubble down of teams. Or all of a sudden, you're going into week eight, and all of a sudden there's really maybe you know ten ten teams that are still really in the running, and maybe there's some teams that have outside shots. You know, like Missouri is only there with one loss and teams like that. But really, there's only probably 10 teams that are still in this thing and in that hunt. 
so so anytime you have losses and can knock some of that team and of course knock the you know the two team SEC thing that that still has a chance um, you know knock you know knock a loss into one of their powerhouses is is impactful for everybody not just Wisconsin um, so it'll be interesting to see as as the thing gets, keeps going and as these you know top matchups play out you know how the how the rankings shake out. Uh, speaking of top matchups, obviously we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves uh, with obviously Illinois on deck, but two weeks away uh, from Wisconsin, Ohio State, and if obviously the Badgers take care of business, they'd be heading into uh, Buckeye Stadium, you know, with zero losses, and I would expect Ohio State to, to be in that same point. But uh, the game is an 11 o'clock kick, and I've seen a lot of people mad about it, and at first. At first I was, and then I kind of thought about it, and I was like, you know what, maybe this isn't such a bad thing. So, Matt, what did you think of the 11 o'clock kick uh, announced by Fox? Yeah, I kind of, I tweeted about it earlier uh, when I saw it, but it's, it's one of those things where I actually think it's a benefit for Wisconsin. The, the late-night games are, are going to be tough, That especially in the horseshoe where you have you know 100,000 fans who are, who are up for that game. Everybody's on time. Everybody's ready to, you know – be loud uh you know it's less easy to get up for an 11 o'clock game and you know get a healthy amount of adult beverages in you and get that voice going uh and in in the excitement as much it also allows badgers to kind of just kind of go through their normal thing it's not a it's not a hey a hotel and wait all day and just wait all day and wait all day it's it's hey we wake up we go through prep and you know you get laced up and you're ready to rock uh, compared to what it would be like if they were in enemy territory and having to, you know, slowly go through walkthroughs and kind of wait, wait for good chunks of the day. So I think it's a huge benefit to Wisconsin uh, in the in the long run. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you, you you think about, you know, I saw fans getting mad and obviously you want your team to play in prime time, but ideally you want your team to play in prime time at home because you think about all the times where, you know, obviously Ohio State. You know, back in the David Gilreath days, they had to come, you know, as a top-ranked team to Camp Randall at night, and it's it's a harder environment to to win in when you have to play, you know, in, in front of a home crowd that that's ruckus and you know on that prime time stage. So, I think it's kind of a benefit too from that regard. Um, I didn't realize the World Series Game Four is going to be that same night. So obviously, when you think about it that way, the, the Badgers weren't going to get that late slate anyway. Um, so overall, you know, it, it's it's just a football game. You just got to go out and play. I don't think it really matters uh, what time it is, but I think it certainly gives the Badgers a benefit as they you know make this run in, in the Big Ten and and you know look to prove themselves. And obviously, I think people will you know I don't think it's going to hurt the ratings. I think people will still be tuned in for that game because it's still a Saturday slate of college football and it's still going to probably be a you know a top six matchup in college football. So that's still going to get plenty of eyeballs. They're still going to get plenty of attention. And obviously if they win that game, they'll, they'll certainly, you know, be a focal point. It's not like they're going to, you know, be looked over because they played at 11 o'clock. So it's just more of a handle your business stuff at this point. One thing, it also eliminates the chance of game day being there, which is also big because game day won't uh, compete with the Fox you know, big nude Saturday, as we like to say it on B5Q. So they're not going to butt heads over that. So there's, there's not going to be game day for it either. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing they need is is going into the into that game with with game day and at night. Yeah, that's if you can avoid those two things, it's only a benefit to the road team. And you know, I'm sure Ohio State fans are more upset that that it's a day game. But at the same time, you know, for us Badger fans, Yes, I know you want to be in prime time, and obviously the 2:30 slot would have been nice, but 
there's there's only so many games that can go in these slots, and you're going to have, I think LSU-Auburn is that same uh, Saturday, so that's going to be the 2.30 CBS game anyway. Um, so you, you're really at 11 o'clock, you're getting – you're getting your standalone spot uh, to make your make your mark. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, as these ranked, you know, quality matchups come about. But you just really gotta take care of your business. Speaking of taking care of your business, obviously there's only a handful of undefeated teams left, and one of them is obviously Wisconsin, and the other one is obviously Wisconsin's biggest rival uh, in Minnesota. So we've seen some Big Ten West matchups. So Matt, who do you think is the biggest threat to Wisconsin in, in the West Division right now? I think it I think it honestly has to be Minnesota. You know, I wouldn't have thought that going into the year, but at the same time, Minnesota has a really really um easy schedule in terms of their uh crossover games. You know, they obviously have Penn State coming up, but they also have Rutgers this upcoming weekend. So, there's there's they're going to be undefeated running into uh that Penn State game and it's going to be their Super Bowl against Wisconsin. They they won the Axe once and they're going to want it back. But I also could tell you that the Badgers are going to really want it back, uh, you know, with some motivation based off of what the players have said in interviews. So it, I think that's by far the biggest game. You're on the road in that game. I, th- I think everything converges possibly to that one in terms of the conference title race. If Minnesota is able to, you know, kind of dance their way towards uh, only losing one game, because I don't think that they have the firepower to beat Penn State. Yeah, that's going to be, if you think about the Wisconsin-Minnesota rivalry and how lopsided it's been the last 15 years, to have even a game with those two both in the running for, you know, for that West title, you know, to come down to the last game in that rivalry game would, would be huge, not only for both programs, but, you know, the college football in general. Um, so obviously it would be, it would be interesting to see uh, i don't want it to come down to one game i'd love for the next couple of weeks to for Mar- or, uh, minnesota to you know stumble to obviously i don't i think see anyone stumbling to rutgers but i think they've got maryland on the schedule too uh, and then of course penn state so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out and i'd still i'd still give some thought to iowa but they've got two conference losses already where it's going to be hard for them uh to get to that point with, with where they're at and they still got a tough schedule uh, going forward. So I, I don't see that one shaken out. Um, so I'd have to go with Minnesota too, but uh, we'll see uh, as this thing shakes out. It'll be it'll be interesting and obviously fun to watch as, as we get uh, past the halfway point and in, into the second half of the football season. Yeah, I, I should say, I, I think okay. it'll really come down to the matchup between Minnesota and Iowa. I, I forgot that those two haven't played yet and they're right. playing the week right, uh, two weeks right before the Badgers take on Minnesota. So kind of whichever one of those team is able teams are able to kind of get through that game. I think that's probably the team that the Badgers need to look out for the most. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree. And obviously, you know, we're still only, we're still only, uh, you know, seven weeks through this thing. It'll obviously change and, and stuff will shift. I know people get excited and want to start talking, you know, title games and bowl matchups and, you know, playoff predictions and stuff, but there's still another half of the season where, where things could, you know, completely change and shift uh, by the end of it. But obviously, you know, the Badgers are taking it one week at a time, uh, and obviously Illinois is on deck. So Thursday's show, uh, we're gonna, you know, t- we'll dive into Illinois. Obviously, they've they've had their struggles in the past, but they're not, you know, I think they're a little bit improved uh, this season. So it'll be interesting to see how the Badgers come out uh, on the road once again. You know, no longer at home. They've had basically five straight weeks at home when you count that bye week. So it'll be interesting to see 
uh, where the Badgers are at when they get get another road test. It's still harder uh, when you've got to go on the road. So, guys, everybody, thank you for listening. Um, we apologize again for any audio issues that we may have had. Uh, I'm on a different internet and I'm battling a little bit of a cold, uh, as you may <laughs> as you may hear in this. So, thank you for bearing with us, and uh, we'll catch you guys on Thursday's show on Wisconsin.